And a very good morning to every one of you. It's a joy to be with you today online. And I pray the Lord will encourage us as we spend a wee while together in his precious word. I want you to turn with me today to Nehemiah and chapter 1. Nehemiah and chapter 1. This is what we read in God's word. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men. And I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile under back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days, I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. And then you find in verse 5, way, way down to the end of verse 11, Nehemiah's quite amazing prayer. And the final sentence in the chapter is simply this. I was cupbearer to the king. And there we finish. And we pray God's blessing on his word again today. You know, I love the story of Nehemiah. It's uh, fast moving. It's full of blood, sweat and tears. It's all about one man and his God. And you know, I think Nehemiah is truly an amazing character. I think when we lift the lid on his life, that you'll really like him. So today I wanted to take just a few minutes and to blow the dust off his memoirs. We want to learn some timeless lessons in serving the living God. We want to see what God can do in the lives of very ordinary people, just like you and me. Four words give you a quick summary of the book, Small Man, Big God. And you know, friends, that puts a spotlight exactly where it belongs. For right here in the narrative, we come across a tiny man, a little man, an insignificant man. But we're also aware that behind him is a great, big, wonderful God. Put another way, we could write as a caption over the entire book, Ordinary Man, Extraordinary God. Now when I read through the diary of Nehemiah, and you can do it in an hour and a quarter, there's one question in the front of my mind. Can one person really make a difference? Well, my friend, one person can make a colossal difference. I think, for example, of Abraham. He obeyed God and a new race of people was born. I think of Joseph. He met the needs of his own people in a time of severe drought and famine. I think of Moses. He led the Israelites across the Red Sea to freedom in the land of promise. I think of Joshua, who conquered a hostile country. I think of Gideon, who raised an unlikely army. And then what about David, who established a city in Solomon, who built a temple? Now, these seven guys have one thing in common. Every one of them made a significant difference. What about the likes of Florence Nightingale, William Wilberforce or Lord Shaftesbury? 
I think of men of the ilk of John Wycliffe, Martin Luther and John Knox. This was a trio of individuals who brandished the flaming torch of truth in an era of inky black darkness. And then there is Alexander Graham Bell and the telephone, Thomas Edison and the light bulb, Alexander Fleming and penicillin. And you know, folks, the list goes on and on and on. But you know what it does? It proves the point that one person can make a mega difference. And you know, my friend, you and I can impact our world for Jesus Christ. You can influence your generation for God. You can make a difference, just like Nehemiah did to his. You see, it's all about success. For that's a word that pops up two times in the narrative. We find it in chapter 1, verse 11, and in chapter 2, and verse 20. Now, let's face it, it's one of those words that makes a world of difference, isn't it? None of us wants to let the side down. None of us wants to be a failure. I mean, we don't want to blow it as we round the last bend on the track of life. Every one of us, I'm sure, want to come out on top. We want to cross the finish line in a blaze of divine glory. We want to make and we want to leave our mark for God. And you know, when we look at it like that, I think it's fairly obvious that our friend Nehemiah was up there among the best. I mean, when you read his book, he shows us how to encourage others to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. This guy is a great believer in people participation. No one man ministry for him. Thank God. He also shows us how we can detect and then defeat the enemy. He doesn't want you and I running around with an omelette smashed across our face. He also shows us how we can keep going, even when the going is incredibly tough. This man is all too aware of the stresses and strains of life in the proverbial fast lane. You talk about deadlines, he knew all about it. But he also shows us how to make prayer a vital part of our daily life. I mean, he didn't just talk about it, he did it. And so what we have right here, my friends, is an upbeat story of a very ordinary man. He's a man who dreamed big dreams. Someone whose dreams were always larger than his memories. He has a clear vision of a can-do God, a God of stupendous ability. He's a man who saw the potential, not just the problems. I mean, he wasn't easily put off or deterred by the immensity of the task before him. But rather, it was an opportunity for him to discover and to prove the Lord in a whole new way. He's into blue sky thinking. I mean, you read the story unfolding, and this guy thinks outside the box. And is also blessed with a resilient personality. He just keeps plodding on. He takes it all on the chin. He embraces the beatitude that says, Blessed are the plotters, for they eventually arrive at their destination. It was William Carey, former missionary to India, who said on one occasion, Many things I can't do, but I can plod. 
You see, Nehemiah doesn't know the meaning of the word quit. It's simply not in his vocabulary. The thought of packing it all in, it doesn't even enter into his mind. No, no, this guy's up for it. He's determined to see the project that he began through to the very end. That's the kind of person I'm talking about today. A man of grit and gumption. A man of God. And on top of that, he was God's man in a demanding and depressing situation. I mean, for Nehemiah, this was real ministry. It was ministry in the trenches on the front line. But you know, folks, what thrills and excites me today is this, that God has his people exactly where he wants them. And guess what? Sometimes we find them in the most unlikely of places. You and I should never be taken aback or surprised where and when we bump into the people of God. Like Esther, the Sovereign Lord has the ability of bringing people into your life and mine and into the kingdom for such a time as this. I think of Joseph, an innocent man suffering in a prison cell down there in Egypt. I think of Gideon, a terrified farm worker hiding behind a closed door in Ophrah. I think of David, a young and handsome shepherd boy in the hills of Bethlehem. I think of my boyhood hero, Daniel, in the Babylonian civil service. And you know, my friend, the lesson we take home today is this, that when God wants to accomplish a work, he always prepares his workers, and then he puts them in the right place at just the right time. You know what it's called, don't you? It's a round peg in a round hole. And when it's like that, it fits. It perfectly fits. It's when we have a round peg in a square hole that we have a big problem on our hands. Now, you may be saying to me, OK, Sam, that's fine. It's a great book, all of that. But who is this bloke Nehemiah? Well, you take a look at chapter 1 and verse 1. And my friend, that's it. There's not much to go on, is there? The bare facts are these. He has a father, obviously, who's called Hakaliah. And he also has a brother who is called Hanani. That's it. The bare minimum. He wasn't a Levite, so he wasn't a priest. There wasn't a drop of royal blood in his veins. He wasn't a modern-day philanthropist like Bill Gates or others, nor was he a patron of such and such a charity. Do you know what that tells me? He's just Mr. Average. I mean, if you met him in the supermarket or you sat beside him on the bus or the train, he's not the kind of fellow you'd look at a second time. And that teaches me three wonderful lessons. Number one. It proves that God can make a somebody out of a nobody. And he still does that. And number two, it shows what God can do with a person who doesn't have to receive all the credit for a job that's well done. Someone who is happy and elated so long as the mission is accomplished. And then number three, it makes a point loud and clear that God uses ordinary people. I mean, we feel inadequate, don't we? At times in your life and mine, we feel out of our depth, 
Some of us feel as if we don't have very much to offer. We're not particularly gifted. Well, my dear friends, if God can use a man like Nehemiah, then he can also use you and even me. And that has to be good news for every one of us today, doesn't it? We're just plain vanilla boars. We're monochrome. And yet, the God of the universe, the Lord of heaven and earth, is willing to take us up and use us. That says something. It says more about him than it does about us. But that's God. And that's grace. You know, we look around us in today's troubled world and we realise very quickly that our world is not so different from the world of Nehemiah in the 5th century BC. There are broken things and wounded people on every street corner. Burned gates are commonplace. Biblical values lie shattered. Morals are seriously corroded. And that's why I believe the time is always right for a new reformer like Nehemiah. Every generation needs ordinary people, men and women who are willing to restore and rebuild broken and bruised lives. The problem is, we go looking for the wrong kind of people. So often you and I have lost sight of what it takes. We look for popularity, prestige, big name, a fat wallet, an outstanding communicator, a person with all the right connections. Well, just consider for a minute, four of the brilliant men who were living during the time of Nehemiah. I mean, some of his contemporaries were geniuses. Aristophanes was stirring people with his brilliant plays. And then there was Herodotus, and he was captivating audiences by his best-selling history. And don't forget, Plato was also there, and he was influencing a generation of students. But so too was Socrates, and he was expertly defining his philosophy and outlook in life. Four men, every one of them giants in their own particular field. And yet, not one of them was chosen by God to lead the Jewish people in the rebuilding of the city of Jerusalem. God didn't pick any one of them. Ever wondered why? Well, we don't have to look too hard for the answer. Because when we fast forward into the New Testament, to the writings of the Apostle Paul, we discover God's angle in such things in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verses 26 to 29. Not too many of the brightest and the best among us, not many influential and intellectual, not many from the upper caste of society. Beloved, here's the baseline. The Sovereign Lord uses amazingly ordinary people to do extraordinary things. That's the way God works. He always has done and the chances are he always will. He uses jars of clay to glorify his name in all the earth. Now look, we can't rewrite history. None of us can turn back the clock. But with God's blessing and God's help, we can all be history makers. 
You and I, yes, you and I, we can shape the course of future history by being the kind of people that God wants us to be right now. We can make an impression. We can leave a lasting legacy in the hand of God and in our community. We can be a powerful force for good. You and I can be a replica of Nehemiah and rock our world for Jesus Christ. It's one day at a time, one step at a time, one person at a time. And the way to do it is for you and I to have a vibrant, pulsating relationship with the Lord. You see, our world has to change before we can change the world. And maybe that's why the story begins with prayer in southwest Iran and ends with prayer in the city of Jerusalem. I mean, what we have here is a classic tale of one man on his knees, a man who often turns to the Lord, a God of faithfulness, a God who keeps his promise, a God who answers prayer. The fact of the matter is this, when we pray, God works. And you read the narrative for yourself and you'll discover that Nehemiah is a man of prayer. This guy seems to have what we would call a hotline to heaven. He worked his socks off day after day. But you know something? Unlike you and I so often, he always found time to pray. He was never so busy that he couldn't take time out alone with his God. So, Nehemiah is a man of vision. He's a man of God. He's a man of the people. He's a man of prayer. But you know something in closing? He's also a man of the book. God's truth has a very special place in his heart and life. He has an all-consuming passion for the living word of the living God. He treasured those times when he clearly heard the voice of God speaking into his own situation. And I think there are three things worth noting. Number one, he was inspired by scripture. You see, stories from the past of how God called and used men never failed to set his heart on fire. Heroes from a bygone era ennobled and challenged him. Men like Abraham who believed God's promise. Men like Moses who shared God's word. Men like Aaron who entered God's service. Men like David and Asaph who encouraged God's praise. Even men like Zerubbabel who built God's temple. All real people who stimulated his faith. Oh yeah, he was inspired by scripture. But he was also taught by scripture. You see, it wasn't only the men and women of yesteryear who attracted and fascinated him. It was the dynamic truth of Scripture itself which enriched his mind. So far as he was concerned, there was nothing dry and dusty about the Word of God. A quick look, and you'll be amazed at the number of quotes and allusions that are there from the heart of the Old Testament Scriptures. I mean, this guy was up to his ears in biblical truth. He loved the precious Word of God. He was inspired by Scripture. He was taught by Scripture. And in closing, he was fashioned by Scripture. 
You know, there's no doubt in my mind that Nehemiah was a man whose entire life was shaped by the teaching of God's word. He submitted himself to his message with a humility that is so refreshing. This guy was enthusiastic and keen for his life to be in line with the word of God. And you know, my friends, at the end of every day, that's why this man was so mightily used by God. An ordinary man with an extraordinary God. Small man, big God. Oh yeah, one person can really make a difference. And here's the message for you, for my heart, even today. It's not the size of the man that matters. But the question is, how big is your God? Amen.